This is the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast, episode 19. You're listening to the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast, the number one resource for running a profitable home recording studio. Now your hosts, Brian Hood and Chris Graham. Welcome back to another episode of the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast. I am Brian Hood, and my co-host is Chris Graham. How are you doing today, Mr. Chris Graham? I'm doing great. It's 72 degrees on February 20th in Columbus, Ohio. That's insane. Global warming. It's 78 here in Nashville, and I sweated during my afternoon walk, which is a first for the year. (laughs) So I'm excited about that. And I'm inside recording a podcast. Nice. Well, spring is here. Not really. It feels like it. And we always constantly brainstorm ideas for podcast episodes. And one of the things we've seen people talk about a lot, especially in the Six Figure Home Studio community, people are talking about websites. People are posting their websites for critiques. Yeah. And there's been some great ones on there, especially for a lot of the students that are inside the Profitable Producer course. They've made some really good websites in there. But we've also seen some garbage websites. We're not going to name any names here. But we have seen some mistakes, man. ChrisGrahamMastering.com. Whoever made that is a (laughs) moron. (laughs) Horrible website. Yeah. So we're going to talk about some very noob mistakes. That's N00B. (laughs) Newbie (laughs) website mistakes that will choke out your business. And there are a lot of things that we could cover in this. We just pick what we thought are the major mistakes. And we will be the first to admit that our website may not reflect all of these things. So, you know, we're just speaking from what we have seen to be mistakes and what we know are mistakes, not necessarily what we've done on our site. So (laughs) I haven't actually compared, we just came up with this outline. I haven't actually compared this outline to my own website, but I would guarantee there's at least one thing that we talk about today that I haven't done on my own site. So take that for what it is. Take all of this with a grain of salt. And this is yet another advice buffet. (laughs) Let's just say that. (laughs) These were hard things to learn for me. When I launched my business, building a website that converted people into customers was difficult. I made a lot of mistakes and I was amazed at, as I learned how to do this better, as I learned how to make a website that quote unquote converts, how life-changing that was. And there's two different approaches you can take to web design. You can go the really artistic artsy approach, which is what you've seen a lot of design type freelance positions. So designers, illustrators, people that are just super creative minded. They don't think too much about optimization or conversions. And those websites, although they look great, they are typically not very effective at converting people to customers. The second approach is the approach that Chris and I both take and the approach that I would encourage all of our listeners to take is the conversion focused approach. That means you are tracking numbers. You're trying to see for every X amount of people that come to my site, I know exactly what amount of those will turn into customers uh, through, let's just say a monthly period. So for every people to come to my site, every 100 or 500 people to come to my site in a month's period, I know how many of those will turn into quote requests and how many of those quote requests will turn into paid customers. Or in Chris's case, where he's actually accepting money on his site, where he's actually getting paid on his site, he's booking projects. He knows how many book projects will come through his site in any given month based on the amount of traffic he gets. Yeah. And he'll also know how many test master requests he'll get in a given month based off of how many people come to his site. And I guarantee you, if I asked him, I'm not going to ask him, but I knew if I asked him right now, if I asked him his numbers, he could tell me with a reasonable degree of accuracy what his conversion numbers are. I could. Yeah, that's because he is a very conversion-focused person. And so while everything on his site is not necessarily optimized to be pretty, 
although it's not an ugly site by any means, it's not a super artistic site as you might see an illustrator or a graphic designer do. I can promise you it is much more effective than the majority of those types of artistic sites. So we are very much conversion minded when it comes to website design. Yeah. And I think the first thing to, to, to just totally back you up and completely agree is, yeah, there's a temptation to look at, and even graphic designers are notorious for this, that they think that the point of a website is to look cool. Point of a website is not to look cool. The point of a website is to make sales. And you got to grasp that. When you're trying to run a business, it's really easy to get trapped in the look cool trap. Yeah, business cards. <laughs> and yeah, and to forget that the whole point is to drum up business for your business. So this is a really, really, really easy thing to get messed up on and to do things that you think look cool or you think people will think are cool, but that don't make your business run. And, you know, a lot of people ask the question, I'm good at this. I'm good at producing or I'm good at mixing or I'm good at mastering or whatever. Why can't I make a living at this? This is very frustrating. A lot of this often comes back to, well, your website is trash from a conversion perspective. You can have the coolest looking website in the world that makes no money. And that is what we want to avoid here. So let's talk about noob mistake number one. That is the mistake of traffic, traffic mistakes. And specifically, we're just talking about people who put no thought about where their website traffic will be coming from. Well, I think the overarching issue here is that we've talked about many times in the podcast is this idea, the lie, if you build it, they will come. Yeah. And that's not necessarily true with website or anything really, but especially websites. Yeah. So to just build an awesome website with like, oh, I'm just going to put it on the internet and then Google is going to take over the rest and everyone's going to come to my website and everyone's going to know how gifted I am. It's total, it doesn't work that way. Nope. Doesn't work that way at all. There's not a whole lot of things on the podcast where I'll say, this is definitely the truth, but this is definitely the truth. <laughs> you can't just build a website and expect customers to start falling from the sky. That's not a thing. You've got to put thought into where your traffic is coming from. And while this is not a traffic episode, maybe that'll be one for the future. This is definitely an episode where we're talking about the mistake of not thinking about this because you may be in a situation where it's not time for a website yet. There's a million other things you need to be focused on before you do a website. But with that being said, I still think a website is a very important part of your overall package because you need a place for people to go check out your work something that legitimizes you and something that makes you look like a professional. This is all part of positioning 101 and a place for people to check out if you can do what they want you to do. Can you provide the service that they want you to provide? Can you provide the quality that they want you to provide? And if you don't have a website, you do not have a customer in that sort of situation. So when we start talking about where's the website traffic coming from, there's several different areas and we'll kind of briefly touch on each of these. But the first and most common is just simply word of mouth. And this is something that everybody can do if you're getting customers already. If you have no paid customers yet, you have nobody out there advocating for your studio yet, this is not gonna be where you're gonna get traffic. But as you start doing projects, as you start getting more and more and more projects under your belt, you make more and more and more happy customers. Each and every one of those customers are gonna start telling their friends about you. It may not be a flood of traffic all at once, but it's gonna be a slow growth thing where you, you, know, you make one client happy, they're gonna be spreading the good word of your studio for the rest of their lives but it may only be one or two people a month, three or four people a month, maybe three or four people a year. But as you get more and more customers, 
you're going to have those customers telling their friends about you. And then the customers that they send your way, they're going to be, so it's this compounding effect that adds up over time. And that's why I do think even early in your career, it is good to have a website, even if it's just saying, hey, go check out my works tell them, and let me know what you think. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the first things to keep in mind when you're doing the website is that a lot of the word of mouth that you're going to get is going to be from social media. It's going to be people that say, man, so-and-so over at, you know, ABCD recordings really killed it <laughs> for me. So, so you got to keep in mind that if your website gets shared and it makes you look bad, that's a problem. That is a problem. And a lot of the stuff we talk about today, we'll be covering some of the things that you don't want your website to have if it is indeed shared on social media or just via word of mouth. Yeah. So kind of where we're starting with here is we've talked about this in the past is a traffic funnel. You can imagine that every potential person that would hire you would be at the top of this funnel. And as they go through the steps, you know, they find you on Google, they go to your website, they click to the second page. Only a fraction of the people that found you on Google are going to get to the second page or the people that clicked on the second page. Only a fraction of those are going to click your contact link of those. Only a couple of them are going to turn into customers and so on and so forth. It's your funnel. When you get down to the end of the funnel, it's only a few people. It's a very small number compared to the top of that funnel. So one of the things you need to keep in mind here to just sort of dive into the weeds here, this is going to be technical. Don't get overwhelmed by it, but your meta title and description on your website. When somebody texts a link to your website, your phone is going to go out and grab what's called the meta title and description that's part of your website to show a preview image, a preview title, and a preview description. Same thing on social media. And even when Google or Bing or Yahoo or whoever lists your website, they're going to use text that you've put in the meta section of your website to populate the description in the title. You want to get those right. People that see that, that's before they even get to your website. And even if your website's amazing, if your meta is awful, you've created a bad taste, a bad first impression before they've even seen your website. So that's important stuff. Definitely something you want to put on your checklist of need to get this right when you're running a business with a website. I agree with you on that. Most website builders, depending on what you use, whether it's Wix or Squarespace or WordPress, we don't have time to get into the differences of website builders right now, although my preference has always been Wix for studios. WordPress for life, baby. Yeah, and WordPress for anything where you have a lot of integrations that you need. Most people, though, Wix or Squarespace is going to be completely fine. And if you have to choose between those two and you're unsure, just go with Wix. But Wix and Squarespace especially make it easy for you to update the meta description, the title, all that stuff for your website and for any pages within your website. WordPress also makes it fairly simple if you know what plugins to use, like Yoast, Y-O-A-S-T, uh, or I think Jetpack is one. What is another one? Yeah, there's a ton of them. So back to traffic mistakes. We we're talking about traffic mistakes. We talked about word of mouth. We talked about social media, getting traffic to your site via social media. But there's also another form of traffic that we're definitely not going to go into depth with right now, and that is paid advertising. This is a big form of traffic for Chris. He invests heavily into paid advertising for his studio. Uh, and he is what I would consider the expert for paid advertising for studio traffic. But we're not going to talk about that here. Just know that that is a form of traffic. Most people, if they're brand new in their careers and they're just getting started, paid advertising is absolutely not the solution for you to get started right now. But if you're the type of person, you're, you're a little more advanced, you want to up your traffic, 
uh, you want to learn from Chris, we do have a Google advertising workshop that he and I have done. It's inside the Six Figure Home Studio Academy, which you can reach by going to academy.thesixfigurehomestudio.com. And you're going to learn more about that. Yeah, I would say for starters, though, just a, just one note on paid advertising. There's a common myth amongst audio people and you know visual arts people that as soon as you start paying for advertising, you've sold out. You've sold your soul and that you're no longer good, that you're trying to overcome some lack of talent and that's why you need paid advertising. You need to right now shed that lie. That's not true. There's no such thing as if you build it, they will come. That all you need to be is amazing at somebody and then people will beat the door down to work with you. That's not the way the world works. You have to show people that you're good at the service that you offer and you have to be willing to spend money to show people. So we'll come back to that, I'm sure, in, in future episodes. But yeah, paying for advertising, and I don't mean like flyers or billboards. I mean paying for traffic from Google, from Facebook, from you know whatever. That's the way that people run big businesses. It's normal. It's not. It's not this. Oh, I'm not good. And I'm going to pretend to be good by running advertising. That's a lie that kills people's business and keeps them from doing what they love for the rest of their lives. I heard an illustration from someone at digitalmarketer.com. I think it was the CEO of that company. And he explained it this way. If I want to have rice for dinner tonight, first thing I do tonight is going to be what? Go to the store. No, it's going to be to plant a rice field or (laughs) buy a rice field, plant some rice, wait six weeks or six months. I guess you got to learn even how to plant rice. Then harvest that rice, dry the rice out, and then you can have rice maybe six months from now. Or... You could just go to the store and buy the rice, which is what most sane humans would do. So when you think about website traffic, you can do all of these things, which you probably should be doing to an extent to grow your traffic organically, right? You're trying to learn how all of this works. You're trying to implement all these things we teach you. But at the end of the day, you can just go to the traffic store and buy some damn traffic, either Google ads or Facebook ads. So we do cover that inside the Six Figure Home Studio Academy. It is well beyond what we can talk about here in this section. But you have to have some sort of plan for what your traffic is going to be if you're going to build a website. Even if it's just word of mouth, even if it's just networking and you're giving your business card out or giving your website to people, even if it's just cold email, you're just reaching out to people with with emails who you've never met before. But you have to have some plan if you're not willing to put in your work through either paid advertising or through cold outreach or through networking or through any of these other means like social media or partnerships, then there's no point of having a website if you can't put the thought behind the traffic. Amen. This is a huge concept that if you are truly passionate about what you want to do, if you are truly passionate about doing this every day, you have to be willing to hustle and get traffic for your website. You have to market. And most people just, the mistake that they make, this toxic mistake is, oh, I'll just build a website and that'll be it. Or no website at all. And they just want to handle everything through Facebook. Yeah, and I'm sure there are people with successful businesses who only handle it through a Facebook page. That, to me... Would be the exception to the rule, though. Would be the exception to the rule. I wouldn't recommend that. There's just so much more you can do to generate multiple sources of traffic for your website than if you're tied into Facebook. The other thing is if you're just going with a Facebook page, you are completely subject to Facebook's changes. That's true. They just changed the algorithm for posts. So now you're going to see, you know, even less people are going to see your posts that like your page. So it's, yeah. So I would say you should have a Facebook business page, but look at that as a traffic source for your website. With that, you should also have a Google business listing. 
It's really, really easy. It takes about a minute to get set up on Google so that you actually have a physical business listing that shows up on maps and all that stuff. If you have to, set it up as a PO box as a Google business listing, and I highly recommend that you do. The other thing is that once you get all this traffic to your website, once you get any traffic, you have to be able to measure it. You have to see where it's coming from. You have to have Google Analytics installed on your website, 100%. Again, I'm not going to say many things on the podcast that I'm going to be absolutely gung-ho. You have to do this. You have to have Google Analytics on your website. You have to be able to see where that traffic's coming from, where they're going on your website, how long they're staying. It's like absolutely the most important data you can possibly get, and it's free. Yeah. All right, let's move on to the next point in our outline here, and that is the CMS mistake. <laughs> this is what we call the content management solution or... I think it's system, content management system. There we go. That's that's the word. But basically, what website builder are you using? We touched on this before. We actually added it while we were talking in this episode. We've been adjusting our outline because we said, how stupid of us to leave this off of our original outline. Content management system. What do you mean by that? What is that, Chris? Well, probably the biggest mistake you could make while building a website is to put on your nerd glasses and to say, um, I am a website coder. I am going to code my website from the ground up in HTML, PHP, and CSS because I'm a genius. Bootstrap. Don't do that. That's foolish. But what you should do is use a stock website builder and customize it. Wix, Squarespace, WordPress. Which we talked about earlier. Yeah. Those are the kind of the big three right there. The beauty of those systems is that you don't have to do all this extra work to integrate them with other services on your website. It's WordPress is, is my chosen platform because I have a lot of customization on my website. But I can be like, you know what? I need I need a better system to protect me from attacks from hackers. I'm going to go on the WordPress marketplace. I'm going to get a plugin. I'm going to install it. Wham, bam. Thank you, ma'am. I'm hacker proof. Yep. Or I need a better system for a shopping cart. Oh, I'm going to just buy uh, WooCommerce. Uh, that's the plugin that I use. I'm going to install it. And right away, it starts working. And the beauty of it, and this is a lesson I learned the hard way. My website was coded from the ground up, completely from the ground up. No uh, content management system. Again, this is like 10 years ago though. But that was a mistake. WordPress was around even back then. And what would happen is when you've got a content management system like WordPress or Wix or Squarespace, you've got millions of people, in the case of, of WordPress, perhaps a billion people using it. And as far as like building websites, and when something goes wrong, it affects many websites and many people get it fixed. When you build a website from the ground up, just with like your coding skills, your uber nerd skills, if it breaks, you won't know about it because you don't have a million people or a billion people using that platform reporting bugs and figuring out how to fix it. So choose WordPress, Wix, or Squarespace. If you're brand new, what would you say, Brian? Wix? Wix is what I prefer. You can go to the sixfigurehomestudio.com slash Wix. That's my affiliate link in which I get a small commission if you use it. It doesn't add anything extra to your end. Or you can just go to Wix.com and not use my affiliate link and I won't get any commission. <laughs> but... Again, I use that for my own site. I will never be an affiliate for any product that I don't either use myself or have not used in the past. So Indeed. All right, so content management systems, just go with one of these three options, WordPress, Wix, or Squarespace. Do not go with a custom-coded site. I have a student in one of my courses who had a completely custom-coded site. It looks beautiful, but it is 100% 
non-functional as far as it's what I just described earlier. A designer made it, you know, you had a nice designer, nice developer and the text is too small. It's formatted in a way that no one can navigate. Uh, I would guarantee if you were to dig into his Google analytics, everything is just completely fucked as far as where people are going and how long they're on page and how much, what his bounce rate is, all that stuff. And he can't change a damn thing either. And he's at the whim of his developer and the developer cut him a deal because it was his friend. And so now he's in this weird situation where he has to wait for the developer to free up to do anything for him. And it's been August, September since he was in our beta program for this course. And he hasn't changed his site yet today. And it's February 20th as of right now. Well, let's play a quick game of would you rather. Brian, would you rather have a Wix website that you cobbled together yourself and had to pay some money for hosting Wix service, et cetera, or your buddy who is a quote unquote totally awesome coder dude has offered to do your website for free. Which would you choose? I want the damn Wix site. I mean, here's the thing. I had my own, my own website. 456 Recordings was developed from the ground up by my best friend who is an amazing developer. <laughs> an awesome coder dude. <laughs> He's an awesome coder dude. Yeah. Like he literally is though. He's a CTO of a multi-million dollar company and he made my site. But the problem was if I needed to add anything to my portfolio, I had to send it to him. He had to do it. If I wanted to change a photo, I had to send it to him. He had to do it. Yeah. That's sort of the point of a CMS is it's easy for anybody with no coding skills to edit. Yeah. Well, if you go to 456recordings.com right now, the site you see was an exact replicate of what he built for me, except I did it in Wix because you can drag and drop. You can move anything wherever you want it. It's 100% customizable. I'd say 100%. It's like 98% customizable as far as the look of it. And it actually looks better now than it did then. And I can log in any point to do anything that I want to my site. So that is just, just pick one and go with it, but don't go with the custom development. I just think it's too much of a headache. So let's, let's move on now. That's the right advice for everyone. All right, so number three on our noob website mistakes list today is one we see a lot is design and photography mistakes. So let's just start going down this list of design and photography mistakes that we see a lot. And really quickly, I know a lot of people are listening and are like, oh, this isn't, that's not a very good point. That's not very interesting. This isn't very technical and applicable to my business acquisition. Yes, this is super duper important and nuanced. Yeah. It's hard to learn. It's not, oh, I can pull out my iPhone and take a picture. I got this. I'm fine. It's so much more than that. Yes. So let's just talk about really quick. We saw this in the Six Figure Home Studio community recently. Let's talk about a logo because that's just part of the design. Yeah. Not so much the photography, but the design. Logo or no logo, Chris? I would say logo only if it's a good logo. And by good logo, I mean not one that you designed in Microsoft Paint or Microsoft Word. It's so much better to have no logo than it is to have some piece of crud that you design yourself. Yeah. My advice to you, and this isn't going to apply to everybody, but under most circumstances, 99% hire a good graphic designer. My experience, all my past logos I've ever had for anything has been done through 99designs because you get to choose. And if you're unhappy, you can just get a refund and you don't have to pay anyone. Um, Designers absolutely loathe that site. Just so you know, like, legit designers will say that's the biggest joke of a website in the world. But me as a business owner, it's amazing because all I want is to choose from a wide variety of logos and pick the one that I like. And since I'm not the type of person that can come up with design ideas, I am just not gifted in that way. I want a lot to choose from and I can just pick whichever ones I like. I can discard the ones I don't. And so that's the method I've used for 456 Recordings logo, for the sixfigurehomestudio.com logo, for the from shit to gold.com logo, for any other businesses that I've done in the past logos on 99designs.com. 
And you can actually reach my affiliate link for that if you want to go to the <laughs> sixfigurehomestudios.com slash 99designs. We got all them affiliates. I need to get some affiliates up in here. If I use a product and they have an affiliate program, I sign up for it. That's awesome. So here's a good illustration of why logo design, photography, all this stuff is important. If you went to a wedding, stag, you went by yourself and you're at the wedding and you see this beautiful girl across the room and you work up the courage to go talk to her. And what you don't realize was you have a giant ketchup stain on your tie and your dress shirt. We're talking like silver dollar size on your shirt, on your tie. That's your first impression. You're never going to get that back. And the moment you open your mouth and say hello to her and she sees that stain, she is going to think about you and it's probably never going to go away. Yeah. Your logo, your photography, your website design is similar. Yeah, it does matter. Yeah. Hmm. Should I hire this person to record my website? Oh, ketchup stain. Yep. I also want to state another thing. Uh, that while there are plenty, plenty of very successful producers and engineers out there that don't have a logo, they just go by their producer name, you know, brianhoodstudios.com or brianhoodproducer.com or whatever, or chrisgrammastering.com. <laughs> I've seen people that don't have a logo and they're still successful. So I don't think this is 100% necessary. Pick and choose what you want. But if you're going to do a logo, get a good one. Get a good one. So back to my story. Oh, go ahead. It would be better to not wear a tie and not have a ketchup stain than it would be to wear a tie with a ketchup stain on it. That's true. There was a conversation happening on the Facebook page, the Six Figure Home Studio community, and someone asked- Which you can reach by going to the sixfigurehomestudio.com slash community. I know no one's going to go to these links, but I'm just saying them anyways. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and someone asked, you know, I know Brian recommends on designs, but it's a little expensive. Is there anybody that knows something cheaper? That's a good question. And this isn't going to work for everybody, but beware of taking shortcuts at the top of your funnel. Yeah. Let me say that again. Beware of shortcuts at the top of your funnel. When it's something where everybody that comes to your website is going to form a not so good first impression of you, these are things you spend money on. If you're passionate about doing this for a living, you have to spend a little bit of money, just a little bit, on your top of funnel first impressions. It's true. Well, let's talk about this next thing, this design, photography, just sort of ugly issues. Before we get into the podcast today, let me tell you a little something crazy about myself. I'm actually a psychic, and I'm going to prove it to you. You and I, we've probably never met, but I bet I can describe your business better than you can. Here's what my crystal ball says. You probably have no idea how to get clients other than waiting around for referrals and word of mouth. You're stuck in a perpetual cycle of feast or famine, so you have wild income swings from month to month. You're charging way less than you should, and you know it, but you don't do anything about it. You feel like you have a million things you could be doing in your business, and you have no idea what you should be focusing on. And you have tons of little half-built bridges leading to nowhere because you've jumped from thing to thing to thing as a dabbler. Am I right? Does this sound eerily similar to you? That's because I've been in your shoes and I've worked with thousands of freelancers who've also been there. So I'm not a psychic. My crystal ball is not real. I just have a really clear understanding of what freelancers are facing today. And if I can predict your problems, you can bet I actually have a solution to these problems. It's called client acquisition. We talk about this all the time on the podcast, but for some reason, freelancers still haven't really figured this out yet. This is why I created Clients by Design Coaching. It's a truly unique coaching program that helps you build your own client acquisition machine so you can break out of this feast or famine cycle that most freelancers never escape. So here's how our approach is unique. First, we do a deep dive on your business, we figure out what's missing, and we give you a complete marketing roadmap right from the start. 
So no more dabbling, no more guesswork, just a clear path to getting more clients. You always know what your next step is because we actually assign specific tasks to you. So instead of feeling overwhelmed, instead of feeling scattered, you can just focus on your next step. That's it. We give you unlimited feedback on everything you do so you can feel confident that every single step you're taking is the right one. And we hold you accountable, not by nagging you, but just by genuinely supporting and cheering you on every step of the way. If you're behind on any steps we've assigned to you, we'll proactively reach out and see how we can help. Clients by Design is not a course. We look at it like a partnership. We'll always show up. We'll always give you what you need, but you have to be willing to put in the work. This program is not for everyone, and that is okay. As of right now, I just checked the numbers. We've only approved about 25% of the applicants we've gotten so far, and that's because we are selective. We only accept your application if we believe we can truly help you. So if you're ready to end your feast or famine cycle and build a client acquisition machine, you can apply for Clients by Design by going to sixfigurecreative.com slash coach. That's the number six figurecreative.com slash coach. Now here's our show. Really, it's we talked about the design part, was that was the logo, but now we're talking about photography. That's a big thing. And we've seen somebody that has horrible photography on their site. We're thinking of a couple of specific people that we're talking about right now, which we're not gonna name names, we're not gonna talk about specifics here. But we've seen some sites that just have horrible, horrible photography of things they should never have photos of in the first place. And so Chris and I were talking about this. If you have an ugly studio, if your studio is disgusting and you think you still should be taking photos of it, we have a couple things to say to you about this right now. First of all, if your studio is ugly, just don't have any photos at all, Uh, especially if the artist is not coming into your studio. Say you're doing mixing work. There's no real need to have photos of your ugly studio if you're just doing mixing work or remote editing or something. If they are coming to the studio, consider this. Just go to Pinterest.com, type in some sort of aesthetic you like, industrial design or industrial vibe or minimalist vibe or you know just type in buzzwords like that and you're just going to see a plethora of design ideas that require very little effort very little money to replicate through just goodwill or flea markets or hardware stores yard sales whatever you, walmart you, you can find these things anywhere or things you already have and all it takes is just a little bit of inspiration through something like pinterest.com i just recently redesigned an office for shooting some videos uh, for the sixfigurehomestudio.com. And, you know, I spent a very minimal amount of money. You know, I found a nice leather Chesterfield sofa off Craigslist for 200 bucks. I found, you know, tables at, at flea markets for $20, $30. I found a little bit here and there and there. It took a while to put together, but it was all inspired by design, like industrial style designs that I've seen on Pinterest. So it doesn't take much effort to do this. And if you are the type of person that absolutely cannot do this, just get someone who does want to do this type of stuff. So either a creative individual, I hate to say it, but typically it's it's a girlfriend, right? <laughs> yeah. I would say two things. One, let's start with a story. There's two studios in the town to the west of you. Both of those studios have engineers or unengineer that are of equal caliber. They have a, the same niche. They work on the same genres. One of the studios is in a basement. It's butt ugly. It's damp. It's disgusting. It's not somewhere you would take your girlfriend on a date. The second studio is gorgeous. They've got nice couches. They've got clean furniture, clean carpet. Um, They've got cool, kitschy, rock and roll stuff hanging around in the live room. They've got all these candles. But the final product from both of those studios sounds almost identical. They turn out exactly the same quality of audio. Who do you think is doing better business? Who do you think has more clients? Yeah, the one who gave the damn about the vibe, the design, the layout, everything. And it would have probably invested a little bit of money to make it look a little bit better, 
but I bet they're making a lot more money than they put into it compared to the the damp, dark basement studio with shag carpets and wood panel walls. Well, and here's the thing. If you have a studio that has clients over, which is most, you can have worse gear and a better aesthetic, you'll probably make more money. Absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of other things that go into that, but all other things being equal, then yes, that is correct. Yeah. So I think that's a good illustration there, and this is the second thing, is is your studio somewhere where you could take a date to? That's a good litmus test. Yeah. We're going to swing by my studio for a minute and hang out and maybe listen to some music. Is your studio somewhere you could take a date? If not, you should probably work on that. Yeah. Because if you want to do this for the long haul, if you want to do what you're passionate about, having a, a studio where artists want to be, you know, artists are going to your studio to have an emotional experience, to pour their souls out. They don't want to do it next to a water heater, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So the aesthetic, there's an opportunity to own a niche just on a studio aesthetic. It's a big opportunity and it's one that's often passed up in a lot of these um, studios that are run by, no offense, dudes, but younger dudes. Yep. Which is the majority of our listeners is 20-something-year-old males in the US, UK, or Germany, or Australia, or Canada. And they're not known for their ability to properly decorate or design a nice vibe. Yeah. A trip to Ikea will probably make you more money than a trip to Guitar Center. Oh my God. I never thought of that, but that is so true for so many people. It's like, I just want to buy plugins. I just want to buy gear. I just want to buy equipment. But in all reality, you just need to buy some stuff to spruce up your place. Now, I want to say this. There are some people who do have nice studios. They do have a nice vibe. They do not have nice gear, but their photography is just awful. It's an iPhone because they just wanted to save a few bucks. If that is you, just hire a damn photographer, spend the money on it, or better yet, just trade services or get someone to do a favor for you. One of those things will work to get professional photography in your studio because there is no replacement for professional photography when it comes to getting photography done in your studio. You can't just do your iPhone. You can't just do an Instagram filter on your stuff. It is in 2018, you can't do that anymore. <laughs> yeah. So I know this sounds like we're nitpicking that we're being a little rough, but we are a little bit. I don't think we are. You got to keep in mind the ketchup stain story. That's true. When someone comes to your website, they will have an opinion about you within one second. They will immediately cast judgment based on the vibe of your website. And if you've got pictures of weird stuff and it's clearly somewhere you wouldn't want to take your date, they're going to hit the back button. All right. So we talked about design photography stuff. And now let's talk about something we call the hero complex. This is a major mistake we see through many, 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 many websites. And we have briefly touched on this in the past on the podcast, but it's something called the hero complex. What do I mean by the hero complex, Chris? Yeah, the hero complex, um, man, this is something that I have struggled with as a business owner, as an audio engineer. And it's this sort of like, prototypical audio engineer attitude of like, I know things and no one else does. You know, I'm the smart guy in the room and nobody else knows this gear as well as I do. And you see this on like, well, I don't want to say the name of the website, so we'll call it sleerguts.com. Oh, you mean gearsluts.com. Oh, oh, I'm, uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah, gearsluts.com. But this sort of like, <laughs> hey, I'll say it. we're going to like have a contest and see which one of us is more manly based on how much we know about really esoteric stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of toxicity in that area, but... Yeah, so how does this apply to a website? When you are building your website, it should be predominantly 
about you helping people be the hero in their story. Yes. Not about people coming to be a character in your hero story. So what are some of the signs that you have inadvertently become the hero of the story on your site instead of making the customer the hero of the story? If your biography, if the first paragraph of the website is your biography, that's a problem. (laughs) That is a problem. Not to say you shouldn't have one. You should. I mean, mine sucks, but you know, it's not the first thing they see. But if you can write your biography to be about how you can help them, that is ideal. But another way that you have fallen into this hero complex, and we're going to get a lot of flack for this, I'm sure, but that's including a gear list on your website. <laughs> a gear list, if you, if you are only talking about recording gear or you know, what console you have, no one cares about that stuff. If you have a gear list of what they have access to, that is more about making them the hero. Here's all the wonderful things that you can use if you come into our studio. Here's all the amps that we have for you. Here's all the guitars that we have for you. If you're making it about, here's all the stuff that I have. Here's the, the gear that I've acquired. That's when it's the hero complex. That's so true. Yeah, if I'm going to go record at a studio, I'm much more interested in their guitar collection yes. than I am in their preamp or compressor you know, collection. The drummer wants to know how many snares you have available. What symbols do you have? Yeah, dude. So this is a complex thing and it's something I'm, I know that as a community that we're not known for being able to do this well. But in my opinion, in any industry, you're going to do better when you are casting yourself as someone who can help the hero in the story, not someone who is the hero in the story. And that really ultimately comes down to being able to see your website through the lens of the artist. Absolutely. You have to imagine if I were an artist and I wanted to record, would I come to my website and want to record there? Yeah. Think about through their eyes. Like, are you speaking to them in a way that is saying, yes, this person gets me. This person is going to help me get what I want as an artist because I want to get signed or I want to tour or I want to get my music heard or I want an amazing sounding record that I can enjoy for the rest of my life. And if nothing on your website is speaking to them with that sort of attitude, that that that's what they want and that's what they're going to get from your studio, then you're going to have a very tough time getting people to convert to customers. Remember we talked about earlier, a conversion-focused website? A design-focused website is just going to have pretty stuff and it's going to be like, here's just how artistic I am. But a conversion-optimized website is all about taking that customer down your website and by the time they get to the end of it, to your contact form, they're ready to contact you for a quote or ready to check out. They buy your mastering services or they want a test master or whatever it is that you're trying to get them to do. We'll talk about that in a second. They are ready to go because you have spoke to them in the correct way. Yeah, so I think this ultimately comes back to some of the, the previous episodes in the podcast. This is an extension of social skills. You're seeing you through the eyes of your potential customers. You have to be able to do this golden rule thing of do unto others as you have others do unto you. You have to see you from someone else's perspective. And the hero complex is the complete inability to see yourself from anyone else's perspective. Yeah, we've said this before. I'm going to say it again. I'll probably say it every single episode for like the next 10 episodes. But if you run a business, you are not the hero of the story. The customer is the hero of the story and you are there to guide them on their journey to whatever it is they're trying to achieve. Yeah, and I think ultimately, and I'm going to kind of go down just a slight rabbit hole here, I think that the people that are successful in this industry are the people who enjoy helping other people the most. That's true. Look at Billy Decker. Go back and listen to the Billy Decker episode. That is like the perfect example of this guy, all he wants to do is be helpful. He wants to have fun. He wants to do what he loves. 
And all along the way, he's helping people achieve what they want. Yeah. The flip side of that coin is the audio engineer who all they want is to be told how awesome they are. That's true. The validating, the self-validating audio engineer. Yeah. And I, hey, I've been there. I've been there where like all I wanted was validation that my mixes were good. All I wanted was, you know, on the forum that I post this on to get a bunch of positive feedback. You know, I'm posting it for feedback, but realistically, I just want them to tell me how awesome I am. That was where I have been in the past. So if you were there, there is still hope for you. Yeah. So a really bad studio website essentially says, validate me. That's it. A great website says, I can help you. Yep. I would suggest going through your website, use the command F feature or control F if you're on Windows. If you're on Chrome or Firefox, I don't know if what it is on Internet Explorer or Safari, but it'll open up a little search window. You can search for specific words on your website. Type the word me in there or type the word I in um, quotation marks so it only searches for the, the word I, not I in within words. And see how much you talk about yourself is what I'm getting at here. Look at your site, see how much you talk about yourself. And if everything is, oh, I did this and I graduated from this school and I did this and I have recorded these bands, you know, if it's all about you, it's going to be a much tougher time for you, I think. Yeah. Cool. Well, let's move on to the next one. One of the bigger issues that we see on websites are portfolio mistakes. Yeah. And the number one, the, the worst of these portfolio mistakes is not having any sort of portfolio on your website. Think about, let's just say in a certain situation, you just recorded a band, right? And they're so happy with how everything turned out and they're telling all their friends about you, you know, Oh my gosh, Chris Graham, his mastering services are amazing. They took our stuff and he pushed it over the edge. And now it's like the best we could ever have hoped for. You should go have your songs mastered by Chris Graham Mastering. And so they go Google Chris Graham Mastering and they find his website, chrisgrahammastering.com. And they come to his website and on his website is some of the other stuff we talked about today. You know, maybe you have good photography Maybe you have, you know, you even speak to them and their, and their needs and wants as the guide to their story as the hero, uh, but you have no portfolio on your website. So there's no way that they can even hear what type of work you do. And I would guarantee Chris Graham has gotten a lot of the jobs that he's gotten because not only does he have a portfolio player on his site, it's a portfolio player that lets you hear the before and after in a very interesting and fun way. Yeah. For me, I wouldn't be in business if it wasn't for my portfolio and how I presented it. I think I mentioned this in the last episode, but came up with this before and after player. So you select the song, press play, and you can flip back and forth between before and after mastering. Yeah. And it keeps the location in the song to where it's not just starting the song over again. I've seen people try to do before and afters where they're like on one side, they have before on other, they have the after, but you have to switch back and forth between the players. Don't do that. (laughs) Chris Graham has a great example of what a good before and after player is. Don't rip him off though, because he came up with it. (laughs) Well, plenty of other people have ripped me off. Most mastering websites I think at this point are doing something similar that have, you know, and for good measure, because you want people to hear what you can do. And that's what a portfolio is for. So, you know, in my world, I'm doing mixing. And to be honest, the difference between before and after in mixing services is much more drastic than mastering. So I could probably do well to do something like that, a before and after player, but it is not required. And so realistically, all you need is the final product on your site, at least in my world where I'm doing mixing, because I want them to hear what my final products sound like. And, and I, I think that's a huge part is, can you give them what they want? And if you cannot give them the sound they want, they will not hire you, period. Bingo. I would say portfolio over degree. Oh my God. A good portfolio easily tops a 4.0 GPA and an audio production major. Every time. I'd say a logo. 
a local <laughs> pizza <laughs> degree. Well, and here's a here's kind of a, a plug here for hiring someone to master your, your mixes. If you have a studio and you're mastering yourself, you probably should consider outsourcing mastering or at least experimenting with outsourcing mastering because mastering is one of these things that can up your portfolio. Every project you book as a studio is a result most of the time of a previous project that you did and you were able to show, hey, this person got a great product. It sounds amazing. Mastering is such an easy thing to say, oh, my mixes were pretty good. My masters were so-so. I got these mastered by somebody reputable. Now they sound fantastic. Your future clients can't tell where great mastering stops and great mixing begins. So that great master can really help you show off your portfolio. I would even go so far as to say that if you're a recording studio, even outsourcing your mixing, if it gives you a better sounding final product, yep. will probably get you more clients. Yep. So wherever you struggle, do whatever you can because, you know, non-existent portfolio, bad, but you can still have a portfolio and it'd be completely ineffective because the quality of work isn't good. And the quality of work isn't good because either you tried to master it yourself and it was a train wreck and you ruined your own mix or the mixing and mastering is bad and you are more, your strengths lie more in just producing and tracking and editing and engineering, but you're not great at mixing or you're not great at mastering and you can improve your portfolio by doing something like that, by outsourcing mastering or by outsourcing mixing or by finding that one person that is your go-to guy or girl for those services instead of continuing to spend time where it's not your strength. Yeah. So portfolio, portfolio, portfolio. A good website is great, but without a great portfolio, it's irrelevant. And whatever you need to do to have a good portfolio, whether that's have someone else mix, someone else master, whatever, people don't care. Yeah, focus on the final product. Yes, they focus on the final product. And back to the hero complex, people with a hero complex have a very hard time outsourcing anything Yeah, because it doesn't play into their story about how they're the hero. Your customers want the final product to sound amazing. And if you can talk them into hiring Bob Ludwig to master a song for however many thousands of dollars per song he charges, go for it. It's a great idea because it's going to make your portfolio sound great. So even if you do get a great portfolio of music, one other mistake I see regarding portfolio is you have a portfolio that is amazing but has the wrong style of music for what type of people is coming to your site. So think, think for a second what type of person is coming to your site? Because I've seen this mistake multiple times and you know they'll have a portfolio, let's just say heavy metal on their site because that's what they love to do and they're good at it. But you know they may have a couple other songs, pop or rock or something that they're also good at and it's buried down the portfolio. But all of the traffic they're getting to their site is pop and rock guys or girls. And so they're listening to those first few tracks and it's all metal and hardcore or deathcore or whatever. And it's complete turnoff to them because that is not what they're into. That's not what they're interested in. And they instantly assume that you're not the guy for them or you're not the girl for them. So make sure that if you are going to have a portfolio, that you have the correct songs, the correct style of music. In the right order. Yeah, in the right order for the type of people that are coming to your site. So again, you may not know this straight off the bat, but if you are just getting no conversions on your website, that is one area that you could be falling short on in a big way. So let's just say now you have a perfect portfolio of the exact style of music you need on your website. Another mistake related to portfolios that I see all the time is that your portfolio player is hard to find. You have it buried deep into a page somewhere um, or it's you know a little link listed somewhere in a big blocks of text and that's the only way you can get to the portfolio player. Instead, 
I really prefer to have some sort of one page design. I don't like actually having separate pages for everything. I just like having everything from top to bottom on one page so they can just scroll all the way down. And when they reach the bottom, that's all of the website. Yeah. So at this point, you have the correct portfolio. You have it in an easy to find place. You have the right genre, your best work on there. But you have a bad portfolio player, a bad music player. (laughs) And that thing is hard to use or it's confusing or it doesn't have all the songs listed and you have to scroll down to see all of the tracks or you can't read what the tracks say or worse, you just threw a SoundCloud player on your on your website as a portfolio player, which we're not even going to get into right now. Just trust me, I don't want you to use a SoundCloud player for many reasons, but make sure whatever portfolio player you use, and if you're in Wix, just use the built-in Wix player super easy to use. Make sure that it's easy to play, it's easy to navigate, and it doesn't have long load times, and it doesn't try to take you off to an external site like SoundCloud does, or open an external app like SoundCloud does. Yeah, so the last thing, and the most important thing, if you get all the things we've talked about above correct, but you get this wrong, you're screwed. It's true. So screwed. So screwed. So this is the call to action. What the hell is a call to action, Chris? It's frequently abbreviated as a CTA in most businessy places, but a call to action is the thing that you want the person on the website to do. Yeah, what is the one thing you want from them at the end of the day? What do you want them to do? And it should be, let's preface that, it should be one thing, one thing that you want them to do. On my website, my call to action is a big red button that says, send me a song so I can master a free sample for you. That's the thing that I want on my website. For you, it might be a contact form. It might be call us for a free quote. It might be call us to schedule a free tour of the studio. You need to figure out what is your one overarching goal that drives everything else in your business. For me, it's mastering samples. When I do a mastering sample for somebody, I win tons of lifelong clients through that to show them, hey, this is what's possible if I were mastering for you. So you pick a call to action and the whole website revolves around that. And I like your call to action. I like whatever you're trying to get them to do that one thing. I like for it to be as early into the process of their recording as possible. And so think about this. I've seen people do free test mixes or free test masters. And, you know, the only time they're ever going to fill out your form or send you files to mix or master is when the files are ready. That means if they're any point before that, they're not going to contact you. And so that eliminates a massive amount of follow-up that you could be doing if you would have just started the conversation sooner. So my call to action on my website is just request a quote. If someone is in any way interested in recording anytime soon, they're going to ask for a price. They need to know a rate. So they can either start saving for it or they can start price shopping or whatever it is they're doing. But that is a super early thing in the process for them. Request a quote. Just get a price. And once I have anyone contact me requesting a price, I know that they are getting ready to record soon or they are getting ready to send me files for mixing. And that means I can be the one to follow up. I can keep the conversation going and I don't have to wait until they are ready to send me tracks. So it's much earlier in the process. And that means I can nurture that relationship in a way that would not have otherwise happened had my call to action been later on in the process. Absolutely. So a good illustration for this, we can go back to the ketchup stain story. Not having a clear call to action on your website is like you're at the wedding, you were smart and you took the tie off that had the ketchup stain on it. You walked across the room to the beautiful girl. You introduced yourself. It went really, really well. You danced. You had fun. Sparks fly. Sparks fly. 
and you never asked her for her number. Ooh. You went home and... You have no contact information. You're trying to lurk her friends on Instagram to try to find this girl. Yeah. But you've, you've already messed up. You've already lost it. Yep. Because you didn't have the courage to ask for her number. Call her to action. Do you want to go out sometime, girl? What up, girl? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about CTAs and bad CTAs. So... What is a bad CTA before we get into actual good CTAs? And again, CTA means call to action. This is one of the most popular, most necessary businessy terms of which you don't need to know many. CTA is one of them. It's very important. I used to have a bad CTA years ago, Brian. And what was it? It was a contact form. If you wanted to get a free sample from me, you had to fill out a form that was on the front page of my website and there were 13 fields Ooh. that you needed to fill out. So that's more of a contact form problem than a call to action problem. Well, not actually. It was a call to action because you had to fill out the 13 fields to get to the page where you could upload a sample to me. And I didn't know that that was a bad idea. And I started reading a lot of business books around this time. And one of them was a, a book about conversion optimization, which is essentially getting as many people to do your CTA as possible. And one of the first things it said was the more fields you have on your form, the less people will fill it out. And I said, well, let's do something called a split test. Split test is a really important concept when it comes to CTAs. It's, I'm going to run two versions of my website live and Google is going to split the traffic or some other split testing tool between the two versions. One version of the website had three fields you needed to fill out. The other version had the original 13. And I measured, let it run for a while to see which page, the one with the 13 fields or the one with the three fields, got the most people to send me a mastering sample to send me a file that I could master as a sample. The difference was over 350% more people <laughs> sent me a mastering sample with the three field page. And dude, we're talking about throughout your entire career, this is hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of differences if you would have kept the 13. It was the difference between success and failure. Yeah. Without a doubt. I'll never forget where I was sitting up in my living room and I opened up my laptop to look at the result of the split test and my jaw hit the floor. <laughs> and I understood, oh my gosh, I might actually be successful just because of that piece of information. So again, if you have the hero complex thing right, if your portfolio is amazing, if your design is amazing, if you're using a great content management system for your website, if you're not making any bad traffic mistakes, but you messed up on the call to action, it's game over. Again, I still think this is a forum issue. Because, okay, let's talk about forms for just a quick second. Yeah. You have three problems with forms. The first is you just don't have any form at all. There's no way for them to contact you, in which case your call to action leads to nothing. It's like, hey, let me give you your number. Sure. And then you just walk away. <laughs> it doesn't work if you don't have some sort of way for them to contact you. Another problem is the overly complex contact form, which is what you were experiencing there, 13 form fields, and they were all required most likely. But the third kind that I don't think many people think about is a broken contact form. Oh, yeah, I've seen that many times. A broken contact form is a thing where, you know, you may be getting court requests constantly or you may be getting form submissions constantly and something broke somewhere and you're just not getting any of them. So, you know, those are areas that can absolutely wreck your conversion rates on your website. But let's go back to CTAs real quick and then we'll wrap this episode up. But let's talk about other bad CTAs. So first of all, you're talking about your bad CTA was just to contact you and you had them lead to this ridiculous form. But specific CTAs, CTAs are things like contact us or here's another bad one, sign up to our newsletter. <laughs> Have you ever seen 
When was the last time you signed up for someone's newsletter? That is the worst thing on earth that you could have as a call to action. You're calling them to action. You're calling them to sign up to your newsletter. So think about what you're asking them to do and think about how you're wording it and think about how you can phrase it in a way that makes them want to take that action. So examples of good call to action or at least not terrible call to action would be request a quote, request a price, get your rates, something like that. Upload a song. Yeah, upload a song for a free test master. Something simple, straightforward, but not contact us, not sign up for our newsletter. Just be more descriptive. Yeah. And so to your illustration, you know, about, and back to the story about the wedding, you know, you meet the girl, sparks fly. There's two things you could do in that situation. You could give her your number or you could ask her for hers. That's true. If you give her your number and you're head over heels in love, you have to wait and you have to hope that she calls you and you have absolutely no recourse. If you ask her for her number, then you can call her. You can begin to text her you are, in a sense, you know, able to continue the conversation. You can nurture the relationship instead of the potential that is what happens in a lot of situations. We're not just talking about romantic relationships, but what happens in business relationships is you meet somebody, you have a great conversation, you hit it off, you know, on a professional level, and then the relationship dies because no one kept up the nurturing of that relationship or no one kept up the contacting. You know, at some point, you have to keep up the nurturing of those relationships. And to do so, you have to get some contact information. And to do that, you have to call them to action on your website. So here's one quick test that I think you should do. And then we're going to wrap this episode up. And that is if from 10 feet away from your computer, you can't tell exactly what you want them to do on your site, then you failed. Meaning if I load your site up and I stand 10 feet away, I should be able to see exactly what it is that I should be doing. It should be a bright button with a call to action and big text above it. Great advice. And if you don't have something similar to that, then it's not obvious enough for your customers. That's great advice. I love that. I need to take a little more of that advice on my own website. So let's just wrap everything up. Um, Take each point here for what it's worth. This is not the absolute Bible for having a good website, but this is definitely some mistakes that we've seen time and time and time and time again on people's websites constantly. We see this all the time and it's really frustrating to know that like, hey, your portfolio is really good. Hey, your website looks great and your photos are beautiful, but you don't have a contact form. You don't have a call to action. There's no way for the conversation to continue or you're very talented at what you do, but your photos are terrible and your place is really ugly. And all you had to do is just go to a flea market and buy some few basic things and you could have a very nice looking space if you would just do a little bit of work. Yeah, this is a good episode. There's a lot of stuff in here that I wish I had known 15 years ago. In particular, the ugly studio. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) there's hideous. There's a lot I could have done in some of my old locations to really ramp up the, (laughs) the look and vibe of it and made it more comfortable for my for my clients. Maybe that's another episode we'll have another day, how to make your studio the best it could be yeah. design-wise. All right, well, that is it for this episode of the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast. Until next time, happy hustling. Whoa.